Good morning, saints. Glad you're here today, in spite of the muggy... Hello there, McGrails. Did your daughter get back? Is she here? Huh? Wednesday, as they say up north. Wednesday. I have time for you, Wednesday. We have to welcome you in. You got membered in last week, and you weren't here two weeks ago. Those guys, right there. All right. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for uh, filling in while I was away for one week. Everybody talks like I was away for six months. Come on, get over it. But one thing I don't know if I can take much more of. Tim preaches without notes, so first of all, he makes me look bad. And then, and then second, he always has these great sermon illustrations, so I will not be outdone. This is my sermon illustration for today. And I'm going to start getting some of my tools right here. Okay? Just to get things rolling, if we could. Here's what I'd like to do today. Our, our, uh, I'm going to put the title up first. The sermon title is The Toolbox. We were talking about this months ago. We've been in a series about grace. By the way, you're never going to get enough grace. Right? You can't. And uh, you're not going to know enough about grace. We're never finished learning about grace. We're never finished experiencing it and appropriating it and sharing it. But we're going to be done with this series this month. So I said to the worship team, no more grace after June. You guys better pray hard. Anyway, sharpen the saw. Does anybody know where I stole that? Aha, I caught you all. This is the first time I don't think anybody knew the answer, but we'll get to that in just a minute. What I'd like to do is read the portion of Scripture today, if you would. I'm going to have it on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to read along with me, okay? So just right where you are, read out loud. We don't do that. One person, I don't remember who it was, so if they're still here, I'm sorry. You don't have to. This isn't a cult. You don't have to do everything the pastor says. Boy, there's a dangerous statement I just made. Because I could be wrong once or twice in my life. I've been wrong once or twice. But you don't have to. But let's honor the Lord by reading his word out loud together. Can we do that? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that a great line? Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it as good stewards, oh, serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Nobody nobody from a Catholic background. Let's hear it. Thanks be to God, right? Aren't you glad God gave us the word? Some of you don't look very happy today. Maybe it's the weather. Rough week. I heard a lot of people said they had a rough week. In fact, it's been so bad. Let's just go home. 
No? You're not the only ones that have had a rough week. I was thinking about that. Anyway, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your steadfastness. You don't change. There are some people who are figuring out really creative theology today. They think that you change. They think you're still learning. You're still figuring things out. If that's true, we're all doomed. Thank you that you know the end from the beginning. You're the eternal God. You're immutable. You do not change. You are holy and you are full of love and compassion. And we so often get it wrong. Lord, when things go bad, you're the first one we blame. When things are going fantastic, we kind of forget about you. I think the problem is with us. We need your help. I pray for those who are joining us today that are maybe listening in for the first time to what this Jesus following thing is all about, that you would help them and encourage them and illumine their minds and woo them because you love them so much that you sent your son into the world to pay the penalty for their errors by dying on the cross, whether they are aware of it or not. It was personal. We thank you for that. I'm asking Holy Spirit for you to help me this morning to be your steward in communicating the grace of God and for your people to be stewards to listen and make application relating to the grace of God. We need your help, Lord Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, help us. We ask this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen Amen and Amen. Well, the first thing I want to talk about today is the toolbox. So I, I had shown you that little dinky toolbox, but I take that, take that down. That's ugly. I had to go out and get myself a beautiful toolbox for this series. And so I did. It's got multiple layers. And no, I'm not going to let you see what's inside it yet. We're going to do that as we go along. We're going to take little bits out because God has provided a toolbox for us. And we talked about that a few weeks back when we mentioned that the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us are the toolbox that he has applied to our lives if we want to make use of it. I remember I had a dear friend who was a missionary kid, came back to the States, became an expert, top-quality builder. I mean, the kind of builder that when there was a 45 joint at the edge of your... I see some heads shaking like this, you know what I mean. There were no gaps in that woodwork. Perfect, even hard oak, without, a, without an error. Excellent work. Um, let me tell you what it was like to try to borrow his tools. Anybody know what I mean? You know why you don't like to loan out tools if you're a tool person? I have some tools. Hate to loan them out. You know why? They're shot by the time they come back. Maybe not even recoverable. And so I thought of this concept and the words sharpen the saw. Now, where it actually came from, just so you know, anybody ever heard of Stephen Covey? All right. See, now we know. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a leadership guru, right? had to read a lot of that stuff in the years I've, that have gone by. And Stephen Covey's number seven, his last rule is sharpen the saw. Now, that relates to people who in the old days had to physically sharpen their saws. 
Before I was restricted from chainsaw duty by my wife because I cut my knee open, I know what it's like to, and I'm not even going to tell you the details for those of you who are squeamish, you know. I already had breakfast. Please stop, Pastor John. Okay, I stopped. I remember, anybody ever sharpen a chainsaw? How you do that? Yeah, right? Little tool that runs along the teeth. You all, I see the heads shaking, right? You sharpen the saw. And the reason you do that is it keeps the tool serving you a long, long and effective time, right? What Covey's talking about technically is your life. You need to sharpen the saw. You need to do things to sustain the usability of your life. Think about the impact of that. Think about the implications, if you will. Um, Years ago, I listened to a preacher who said uh, people were asking him a lot of questions about certain things. And I remember he was going to give some answers. And he said something that kind of resonated with me. And it, it resonates with me today. He basically said, let me help you. I was all ears. Let me help you. If you want help. If you don't want help, then I'm not going to help you. But if you want help, I would like to help you. On this whole subject of sharpening the saw, of using your life and the good gifts, the tools that God has given you for his glory so that you have longevity and effectiveness. Isn't that a nice idea? So what the first thing that pops up, if you will, is the subject of stewardship. So good stewardship, if you're a note taker, that's the first fill-in, all right, is good stewardship. Can I just be blunt? This is a subject that is not pondered at all anymore, it seems, in the church. Uh, Some of us, I I wrestle with this, and probably the reason it weighs on me so much, and and you've heard me say it again and again, um, I'm thinking about the future of the church. I'm thinking about the future. We have some history. The church in America was really established as a great mission organization and an evangelistic tool for many, many decades. And it was the builder generation that did that. And they were the people who learned all the basics of discipleship. Do you understand what I mean by that? You know, you go to church. I mean, there's a radical idea. You tithe. What's that? You know, you pray. You're in the scripture. You do Bible study. You evangelize. You share the gospel with other people. All of this was normal for them. That generation is largely fading. And I'm not sure the same level of discipleship has been passed on to the next generation. That's something that must be grappled with. Good stewardship. And so when I was learning about those things as a new believer, I recognized that had an impact on all parts of my life. My possessions, my money, my time, my body. God calls me to steward all of those things. Everybody okay so far? You want to leave yet? We're all okay? I'm going to read something to you. All you have to do is listen to this. Matthew, the 25th chapter Jesus is trying to encourage people about things that are eternal and what really matters. And so he's explaining to them, you know, Jesus is going to show up. The master is going to come back one of these days. What's going to happen when he does? 
Well, it's kind of like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own slaves, servants, if you will, in our, in our culture, his employees. He entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. And he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Is this familiar to anybody? Actually, there's a couple of these stories in the Bible. Jesus was a real nag about some things. He really was. Same kind of story. Here, there, little different audience, maybe a different kind of one of these, you know, pay attention, depending on who he's talking to. But it's the same idea. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with him. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Why do we miss that? Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, you saved your butt. That's about it, you know. No. That pastor said butt in church. Can you (laughs) come back to what I'm saying? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, sorry, I digress. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. We don't have enough joy in Christianity. You know that? Thank you, whoever said that. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. Well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of the many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You don't want me to read the last one, do you? Sadomasochists, I'll tell you. All right. And the one who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, here, here's what's yours. Here it is. His master said, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I don't sow. And by the way, he's maligning his master. Oh, I know you're a really harsh man. Not really. But if you say so, okay. You're right, I am harsh. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and upon arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. How hard was that? Therefore, take the talent away from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. And the very end is very ugly, and we always park on it. We say, oh, does that mean he went to hell? We don't. Parables are stories trying to make a main primary point, not lots of doctrinal details. The point of the parable is God has entrusted us with stuff and he demands of us that we be good stewards with what he has entrusted to us. So my job today is to try to help you. Often the word that is used in these parables, and and it is throughout Scripture, is the word oikonomos, oikonomos. Oikos, the word for house, nomos, the word for law or rule, the ruler of the house. Remember, Joseph became Potiphar's right-hand man. Everything was in Joseph's charge. He, He managed the entire household. 
which is why he was such a, an honorable person when Potiphar's wife wanted to fool around. And he said, my master trusts me with everything here. Isn't that a great line? My master trusts me. There's nothing held back from me. I have power over everything in this house except you. So I won't touch that. And he's a faithful steward. Great picture of the house steward, the person who manages the goods of his master. You know, when we find out what our gifts are, or we, and sometimes we don't even know, but we are anxiously hungry to serve Jesus, we fall right into, naturally, what he's called us to do. And so we, we find joy in that as we do it. But our gifts are that. They're gifts. We haven't earned them. So we're going to deal with that whole issue of what's our attitude to be about that. We have received the gift. We have received the stewardship. We have received stuff. Maybe we've been blessed with brilliance. Maybe we've been blessed with musical talent. Maybe we've been blessed with other substance. Whatever it is, it's a gift. It's not like we're so great left to ourselves. It's because God is good. And so he gives us gifts, and our job, then, is to manage them. I have recommended this book before. Everybody remembers when Bruce Wilkinson put out the book, The Prayer of Jabez. You remember The Prayer of Jabez? Yeah, bless me, Lord. Bless me. Give me a lot of stuff. It was a dangerous book to write for a narcissistic society, to be honest. It really was. But his point was still true. His point was right. Enlarge my border so that I might be a blessing. Enlarge my space. Multiply my gifting so that I might be an honor to you and a blessing to others. Right? That was the real motive. Not just so I can get, 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 get. So he wrote the follow-up book, which this is the one you, you love to hate. The life God rewards. Why everything you do today matters forever. Uh-oh. <laughs> everything I do today. Can I just say something? I know, I know you're thinking, oh, he's working up to challenging us to get busy. Do you know in uh, Japan, I was, I was doing some reading on Japan. It's a culture that I find fascinating. They developed a word over the last 40 years called karoshi. You know what it means? Death by overwork. Literal. It's literal. It's a real issue. Death from overwork. I want you to understand that's not a virtue. Sometimes people have, in the kingdom, overworked. They've neglected their families. They've neglected their health. They've, their health. They've neglected a lot in order to burn out for God. It was not necessarily Holy Spirit driven. So I'm just saying, there may even be a little of that still left here. So I'm just exhorting you to process that. However, in our culture, I think our pendulum is more on the other side of that spectrum, wouldn't you say? It's like, oh, gee, if I can come up with 20 minutes to serve the Lord, wow, wouldn't that be awesome? I think we need to swing more in the other direction. So this is the book that encourages me in this regard. Let me just read something to you. I'm going to just look at four pages from this text. The first thing I wanted to read is the dedication. 
Listen to this. For those who might be wondering today if God notices or cares. Are you all done? Is everybody here? Okay, when I don't hear anything, I get really worried. See, should be... For those who might be wondering today if God notices or cares. Anybody relate to that? Maybe I'm just a weak Christian, but I sure relate to that. There are days I go, am I getting anywhere? Is this, is this making any difference at all? Anybody know what I mean? Thank you. <laughs> For those who might be wondering today if God notices or cares... Here's the answer. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. The teaching of Jesus. Listen to this. The teachings of Jesus show us that there are two keys that determine everything about your eternity. This is not the end of life. Is everybody with me? This week, some of us saints visited or laid to rest people we love. This is not the end. If we're just an accident, evolutionary accident of history, then it's the end. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're a pile of ashes. You're worth about $1.25. That's about it. But that's not true. There is an eternity, and the real you and I lives on into eternity. The disciples found that out. They saw that with Jesus, both with his return from the dead, but even before he returned. I love this one when I think about this. You ever think, you think about the transfiguration. You remember when Jesus was on the mountain? He had some disciples with him. Anybody remember? What happened? Who knows? Say that again. Moses and Elijah. How did they know? Did they have name tags? Where did they come from? (laughs) Yes, they did. (laughs) I wasn't there, but I'm guessing. Moses and Elijah, these are dead guys. Guess what? They're not dead. They're talking with Jesus in their glorious form on the Mount of Transfiguration. Totally freaks out the disciples. It's all in there. It's all in there. You'll be getting there. Those of you who are doing the Daily Bible, you're going to get there. Great stuff, right? Teachings of Jesus show that there are two keys that determine everything about your eternity. You are going into eternity, friends. I know for me it's closer than I like, but it's coming. Here it is. Get the, This is probably the best line in the book. The first key is your belief. This key unlocks the door to eternal life and determines where you will spend eternity. If there is, look, is there good and evil in this world? Anybody want to agree there's good and evil? Why do we think there isn't good and evil in the next? Where do we get these crazy ideas that there isn't going to be an accounting and there isn't a sorting out of what is right and wrong? So belief determines where you will spend eternity. The second key is your behavior. It unlocks the door to reward and determines how you will spend eternity. Whoa. And I know it's just so natural to fall into the idea that we all just kind of sit along, around, you know, singing maybe new praise songs like we learned today, you know, well or bad or whatever. We do. It just goes on like that forever, you know. Do we have to sing that one again? 
It's the 18 billionth time, you know. Is that what it is? I don't think so. See, you guys don't have enough fun in your Christian life. That's a problem. Let me read a couple of things about great expectations. This is all Wilkinson. It's worth picking up a cup. No, you can't have mine. Let's look at three common on misbeliefs about stewardship among Christians today and the corresponding truth God, Jesus, God, Jesus wants us to see. We think that even though God gave us our gifts and talents, he's not bothered if we don't make the most of them. We think even though he gave us our gifts, he's not bothered if we ignore them. You know, I've, been, I've, I've collected tools over the years some from my stepdad, and then you store them somewhere, you give them to somebody to care for, and they get neglected and put in some damp, moldy basement, and they are crudded over and ruined, and that's a great picture of some of our gifts. Becoming unused and worthless. The truth of the first steward shows us that God expects us to take the resources of our lives and greatly multiply them. We think that if God does reward us for serving him, his reward will be a general commendation that will apply to everyone equally and won't change our future opportunities in the kingdom. But the truth of the second steward is that God will reward our work for him, but it will be in direct proportion to how much we have multiplied our life for him. In other words, have we sharpened the saw? Okay. And by the way, I'm not interested in Karoshi. The last thing I want is people running around frenetically exhausting themselves. Oh, I'm working for God. If you're being led by the Spirit and using your gifts, you will be refreshed. And by the way, it's also a Christian word to say no. Oh, I, did, I said that. Okay, I said it. Last thing. We think that if we don't serve God with what he's given us, the worst that could happen is no reward. But the truth is, if we do not use what God has placed in our care, we will, the scripture says this, suffer loss. We suffer loss. It's not about heaven and hell. It's about suffering loss. There is an eternal assignment for us. I believe, as many of the great divines, that when we go into eternity, we are given assignments. Does anybody remember some of the uh, parallel stories like this? You good servant. Because you've been faithful with this, I'm going to put you in charge of more. That's what we're talking about. You've been faithful here. There, I'm going to put you in charge of more. There's going to be work. There's going to be eternal kingdom activity. I don't know what it all is, but there's service to be done in glory, and I want to be part of it. Okay? And if I can get a raise, that'd be great. You know, you get, you get job elevation with no raise. You know, I want the elevation with the raise. The way it ought to be. Anybody trust the guy Charles Swindoll? He's a good preacher. He's a good guy. One of the great doctrines of Christianity is our firm belief in a heavenly home. Ultimately, we shall spend eternity with God in the place he has prepared for us. And part of that exciting anticipation is his promise to reward his servants for a job well done. It's over and over and over again in the mouth of Jesus and through the New Testament. Why do we ignore it? 
I don't know many believers in Jesus Christ who never think of being with their Lord in heaven, receiving his smile of acceptance and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Even We even refer to one who has passed away as he has gone home to his reward. And these um, great classic writers, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Swindoll, Charles Spurgeon, Theodore Epp, John Calvin, R.C. Sproul, Augustine, Wesley, Luther, Justin Martyr, all of them speak to the different gradations of the kingdom of heaven that we sit in different seats depending on whether we've been faithful but what we've been given. Okay, enough, right? An encouragement. You've only got one life. How you can spend it is up to you. Completely up to you. Whether you want to steward the gift and the life that God has given you or squander it. I believe in having fun. I believe that the Christian life is one of joy and freedom, etc. But there are times that the Spirit has to say to me, yeah, that'd be a fun hobby to get into or fun activity. Yes, I would have a great time, but the answer is no. Because I've only got so much life and I can only spend it so far. And so I have to decide what those priorities are. I just had a brother ask me to you know, do something today. We were chatting and how you can only do so much. And every one of us have to process that and decide how do we do it. What do we do? In a culture that is not living, if I can say it this way, hand to mouth today, where survival is a little bit too easy for us, We have too many options to spend our lives on activities that won't ultimately matter. What will ultimately matter for me? I want to at least have my hands on something that I will receive some reward for. How about you? I mean, if it's real. If it's not real, it's because, as I've said, at times, unbelief is such a besetting sin in our culture, we just don't really see it as reality. Is it really true that when I walk through death's door, I am going to see this person, Jesus, and there is going to be this accounting, that all of this is really true? And it is. Okay, enough of that, right? Here's an encouragement from the scripture we looked at weeks back about giftings. You are called to freedom, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for your flesh, doing whatever you want, but through love, serve one another. That's a key phrase about the gifts. And by the way, it was in the passage we read out of... Uh, the book of First Peter. Serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing that, you're winning. You're winning. Second thing, gifting general, generalizations or generalities. If we could talk about that just for a couple of minutes before we start unpacking the actual gifts in the weeks ahead, which I'm going to do. I'm going to take each one, as many as we can, and say, this is what that is. Oh, that's what that means. Oh, that explains why people talk like that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was reading something about it, and uh, someone said, Have, has anybody, uh, he was, a man was talking to some fellow preachers and said, have you ever done a series on spiritual gifts? Not very often. And uh, I have, and we're going to do a short one in this month, talking about the spiritual gifts. But there's some things we need to understand. This verse helps explain it out of Romans. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. By the way, our passage is out of 1 Peter. 
The end of all things is at hand. Be of sound judgment. Don't waste your life. Use it for the glory of God. Each one has received a special gift. Employ it. The first point, there's a special gift that every one of us have been given. Second thing, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I've already talked about stewardship, something we don't do much about. And uh, by the way, uh, can I just make my point again? Unless the next generation, I've talked to some of our younger generation, unless they rise up, there's no future for the church. Unless they rise up to stewardship, the churches as we know them won't happen. And there's something about a local community where people saying, I want to find out about God, can go and find out about God. There's something in favor of that, don't you think? It's a good thing. Generalities. As we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let each exercise them accordingly. First Peter gives two categories. In First Peter, he says, if you speak, do this. If you serve, do this. Let me give you a little list. This is a short list. This is out of Romans chapter 12, right? This is not a complete list. If you look at all the different passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter, and a couple of other odd spots where that shows up, Ephesians chapter 4, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy. All right, let's do a little quiz. Can we do a little quiz? Some of you are having a rough morning. You need more coffee. By the way, I see everyone that's sleeping. I just want you to know that. And it's more than one. And uh, so, here's what it says. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies. Peter gives two general categories of gifts, speaking gifts, serving gifts. Which one is the first one? This is not a trick quiz. This is simple. Second one. Duh. I mean, duh. That's a, I think that's a serving gift. How about you? By the way, the Greek word, diakonia, deacon, servant, table waiter. That's what it is. Teaching. Yes. Exhortation. Very nice. Giving. Hmm. Thank you. In fact, little little trick here. Giving, leading, mercy. All three of those could be either one. Depending. Right? I can be leading by speaking. I can be leading by doing or organizing. I can be leading. I can be giving by encouraging somebody. It's actually an exhortation. I can actually give in that way. And I can show mercy with mouth or with action. Isn't that true? can show mercy with speaking to a person, speaking life to them in the midst of something, or giving to them in some way. I show mercy. I remember one time we were in Tucson. We had a, a, a great senior pastor who was kind of my mentor when I started. And he, he actually wrote a book on spiritual gifts himself. So our people were pretty well taught about spiritual gifts. And I'll never forget one day we had a little... Um, you don't need heat very much in Tucson, I got to tell you. But we had a little... 
um, kerosene heater, an antique-looking thing. looked like a little pot-belly stove. You remember this. My wife is grinning. And we had left it on and forgot about it, and um, it just smoldered, filled the house, filled the house with all this black soot. I mean, everything was covered. I'll never forget the gifts of serving and mercy and encouragement that snapped into gear. Those people went through that house like, who's that cleaning company? Server Pro, right. (laughs) Cleaned the whole thing. We're like, what? It was great encouragement. It was amazing. And I know people here have done the same exact type of thing. There's something about those gifts we're not totally sure. Let me just make a few statements about gifts in general. Let me give you some definitions. Here's two of my favorite books. This one, Mr. Uh, Peterson is away. His mom used to be secretary to this man who wrote this book, Leslie B. Flynn, one of our CB pastors. He wrote the book, 19 Gifts of the Spirit. And in his book, he gives a definition of a spiritual gift. So let me just read it to you. The simplest version you can get. A short, simple definition. A gift is a spirit-given ability for Christian service. A spirit-given ability for Christian service. Gifts will be uh, unpacked as we go, but it's a spirit-given emphasis on spirit-given. Not something that's natural. It's something the Holy Spirit lays hold of in your life, places there. Here's another definition by a guy named Bobby Clinton wrote a book, Spiritual Gifts. Obviously, this was the most advanced copy that they made, was a spiral. So I don't know know if he ever sold millions of copies, but I wish he had because, frankly, it was the best book on the subject I'd ever seen. And I've read quite a few. Spiritual gift is, here it is, a unique capacity given by the Holy Spirit, given to each believer for service in connection with the church, And here's the last line. By the way, when you say the church, don't think in terms of being in this building. The church is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ includes those who God wants to bring into the body of Christ, right? So serving the church makes this happen. And here's the last point on a spiritual gift. To cause the church to progress quantitatively, qualitatively, and organically. It grows in all three ways if the gifts are working. I thought that was a great definition. A spiritual gift, a unique capacity given by the Spirit, given to each believer for service in connection with the church to cause the church to progress quantitatively, qualitatively, and organically to grow. Just a couple of things we'll have to sort out. Gifts and talents are not the same. There can be an overlap. People are talented. Very many kinds of talents. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will commandeer a talent and tie it into the gift that he has given you. Example, a person with a gift of music, which is not a spiritual gift. It's a talent who can exhort and challenge people because of what they're singing or ministering in music. Right? That's the use of the gift through a talent. There's a difference, though. Fruit and gifting are different. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control, and everything that makes you look like Jesus. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. And the gifts are another list which we will be looking at, right? Those are two different things. 
There's also a difference between what we would call usual gifts and what I would call as more supernatural gifts, because there is some of that. So what do you do with it? And the last thing is that there's a difference, or you need to separate, between gifting and obedience. And here's what I mean by that. (laughs) I don't have the gift of giving, thank God. (laughs) Did you know giving is one of the gifts? It's actually a spiritual gift. Let me tell you about those who have the gift of giving. They may be poor as can be. has nothing to do with wealth. I've seen it in people with wealth, but I've also seen it in people with almost nothing. They have this uncanny ability to sense the Spirit's prompting to give to you in your moment of need. It just blows your mind. It's like, you can't afford it. Oh, shut up. Don't even... They won't listen. Don't, Don't rob me of the blessing. It's what they say. I have no gift of mercy, thanks God, because I just don't like people in general, so I don't want to be merciful to anybody. Are you all getting my point? You're still required to give. You're still required to be merciful. Even if you're not a teacher, there are times that you have to teach. You have to instruct your children. You have an obligation before God to do that. Anybody want to say amen about anything? Am I, am I off the wall this morning? Am I, am I all right? Oh, you're thinking. Uh Uh-oh. All right, that's scary. All right. So, those gifts that we just looked at, there's all kinds of things that we want to keep in mind that I may not have a gift, but I'm still encouraged. In fact, I watch somebody with the gift active, it encourages me and challenges me. So, let me give an example. And I, I, I don't think I have this gift. There is a gift of faith. There is a special Holy Spirit gift of faith. Now, how many of you can get by without faith? <laughs> You're not going to get to heaven without faith, right? You're not going to walk effectively without faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So we all have a measure of faith. But then there are these people who have these gifts of faith. The book that I mentioned, this one, on the chapter on faith, referenced Uncle Wynn, who was the... the founder of the camp that my wife and I met at, I literally saw him stand up and pray for this much money exactly in the next morning at devotions. He's holding up the check saying, praise be to God. And it would happen over and over and over again, watching that gift of faith. But that challenges me to trust God. And I could tell you a number of stories where faith intervened by God's grace in my life, but I don't think I have that gift. Somebody here my you have the gift. Okay, we're we're charging you. Can the gift of faith be interrupted by Well, of course. All all gifts can be hindered by sin, unbelief, the enemy. If we allow it. Okay? So any gifting... What's the whole story about the talents? He buried the talent. That's what happens. The gift gets buried or gets ignored or neglected. So that was him showing the spirit of unbelief. Yes. Oh, totally. Yeah, that was totally unbelief. And also... Uh, some of the commentators who talk about that particular parable and some of the parallel ones speak into the fact that there is a, um, a lack of trust in that master 
you know, it, it's just a parable. Jesus used these as sermon illustrations. These were his, his repetitive sermons. And, uh, but this man is saying, oh, I know you're a nasty guy. You're a cutthroat businessman. And he plays that back to him, and he says, well, if you knew I was a cutthroat businessman, why didn't you put it in the bank? So he's actually maligning, if you will, the, the master. And that's what we like to do, right? It's like, oh, God, God is so mean, man. He just, he's just doing this to me, you know, right? We feel, oh, I told you, when I prayed earlier, that's, that's where I park once in a while. You ever park there? You know, things are going lousy. God, what are you doing to me? Okay, nobody else has that problem. Okay, last thing I want to share with you, last point is I-O-G-D, if I can. There it is. Uh, I have to find my note on this. Yes, William Barclay mentioned that the the Benedictine order of monks had this phrase as their banner, I-O-G-D, which stands for in omnibus glorificatur Deus. You can almost read that, right? It's Latin. But that in all things, God may be glorified. That's pretty good. Because that is exactly what our portion today said. Each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Anybody want to say amen to that? You see, if we do it by the strength which God supplies, serving, or we speak as the utterances of God, and I need to reference that because there are a number of preachers in the room, actually. So I'll go there in a second. One commentator said, when gifts are used in this way, God's power and will, rather than human goodness or ability, will be seen with the result that in everything God will be glorified. The idea is that God is at work and that we're making sure he's the one getting the honor and the respect and the attention. I-O-G-D, God's glorification. How do I do that? In my opinion, many times, I'm just going to tell you what I feel. So it's, it's just the world in which we live, which presses in on us continually. It's all about us. It's all about how wonderful we are and what we deserve. You see how many advertisements say what you deserve? I think about that every time I read, whoa, kind of glad I'm not getting what I deserve. <laughs> and that I've been a recipient of mercy. Now, do we want better things? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have it upside down. The pursuit of our own stuff and our own interests always takes priority. It's a natural inclination. It takes some spiritual discipline to turn that around and say, how is God getting some honor in this situation? How does he get glory? I'm going to cut this short because just because I'm going to. 
I remember a story. Well, let me, let me answer those two things. Serving in the power that God supplies. If I'm a server, if I'm a doer, and some of us are, you can get worn out. And people will wear you out if you let them. And what happens is we start doing things without God's supply because we're stepping outside of what he had in mind. That's why we have to depend on the Spirit to help us know this is what is on my plate. I was just interacting with a brother this week who said, I've got it pretty clear. I do this, this, and occasionally that, and it's working. Who had been burned out somewhere else? So it does, in fact, work, which is why I've said... There are only so many things I can do. I need to know from you, Holy Spirit, do I do this, do I do this, do I do this? If I do this, I can't do that, and I know I'm supposed to do that. You have to sort that out. You've got to grapple with it somewhere along the line. That's serving. If you're speaking, I think about this. How many people today, I had a colleague who went off to Senegal. He used to say this. How many people today are speaking for God? Are you sure? Are you sure that what you're saying is really speaking for God? The things that I hear that are wrong, that are misrepresentative of him. In fact, sometimes even his children are accidentally blaspheming, saying things about God that are absolutely not true, or what he wants for you that is just my emotion, not the Holy Spirit. Speak as though the utterances of God. This is why I commit to, first of all, if I can't know that the Spirit's helping me, I won't preach. So if ever on a Sunday morning you see me get up and say, Gene, come up here and pray because I'm going I'm to go sit down, that's probably why. And the other thing I do is if it's my opinion, I'll tell you, this is my opinion. There's different views on this particular passage, but this is what I believe. I try to be honest because... We're speaking for God? Whoa. Whoa. What about the glory of God? It's living as though he's alive and watching. Duh. Anybody remember that wonderful? Be careful, little eyes. Watch it. Be careful, little mouth. Everybody know? For the Father up above is... Is it true or not? The Father up above is looking down in love, and it's really true. There's a story told of one of the painters that was working. It might have been the Sistine Chapel. I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I heard it. He was working on a section of molding that no human eye could see. The part he was painting faced the rest of the ceiling. No human could see it, and he was exactly painting the picture that was supposed to be there. And somebody, of course, had to be an American, said, Why are you painting that so meticulously? Nobody can see it. Duh. That's what he said. He looked at him like, What's wrong with you? God sees it. And it was in a cathedral, God's house, which it isn't, of course, but you get the idea. That's how seriously the reality of God weighed on that person. It's for real. He's watching. I want to make sure he gets glory and he gets honored. 
this is the way to go about it. God's given you a gift. He's called us to stewardship. There are things to learn, and there are ways to sharpen the saw. And when you do, I believe God will be honored by the fruit that you bear. I'm going to close with two stories, okay? I'm going to pick on some people. Everybody wonders, who's he going to pick on? Mike, it isn't you. <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm, I could tell this story on probably three or four or five or six, seven, eight, nine, ten different people I could pick on, but I thought... Who better to train than a brand-new elder and a brand-new deacon, right? So there are other stories I could tell, but I thought, here's an example of the giftings working. Remember the two categories in this First Peter passage? Those who speak, let them speak as the counsels of God, the utterances, the oracles of God. Those who serve, do it in the strength which God supplies. So our new brother... Um, Steve Vitoulis, I'm interacting with someone else in the church this week, and they said to me, this person, and I found out it was our new elder, was speaking into his life and spoke life to him, encouraged him. And this this came to me completely unsolicited. It was like, well, praise God. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. So keep it up. And those others of us who do the same thing, keep it up. The second thing is kind of a long story, and I won't get into all the details because it will reflect my, um, my crotchety nature. But um, there, was a, there was a physical thing in our buildings that has been broken for five years. Five years. I've been here five years. It's been broken longer than, than that probably, and I have kind of... I I refused to fix it myself. As an act of my will, a choice, I spoke, I spoke, I spoke, I spoke, I stopped speaking. We got a new deacon. He was installed on one Sunday. Two Sundays after he was installed, he comes in, he pulls this thing out of his pocket, says, guess what this is? And he fixed it. And I went... How hard was that? That's utilizing your gift. And as they say in the South, don't get the big head. So, because I could tell many stories like that where people are stepping up to honor and glorify God, right? But one of the things I need to do is I need to build a relationship with the person who energizes those gifts. So I'm going to look in my toolbox here. This is really important. What is that? That's the power unit. And if you're going to walk in the spirit, your gifts will be energized. If you don't, I've got a nice little saw. I left it over in my office because, you know, some of you know I'm doing a little remodeling, which is like dead-ended. Corey, come help me, would you? Anyway, so anyhow, that saw, I can pull the trigger all I want. Without this, it isn't going to do a thing. You have to be walking in the Spirit. And that is a choice that every believer can make. He loves you. He wants to engage you. He wants you to sharpen the saw so that when you walk through that door one day, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. It's going to be fun. You were faithful with this. Here's your assignment here. Look, you're in charge of all of that. Woohoo! 
I'm going to be in charge of you guys when we get up there. Who knows? Or maybe you'll be in charge of me. Oh, Lord, help us. So here we go. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. And I'm going to pray a prayer that Charles Haddon Spurgeon prayed relating to our necessity to have the Spirit of God help us. So would you join me in your heart in agreeing with God about this? Okay? Lord, we come on the basis of the merit and righteousness of our Master Jesus. And Lord, thank you that you have not left us on our own. You've given us the Spirit, and you've given us gifts which tells every one of us we have something to do that matters, that matters for eternity. In the last five years, God, you've brought us a little bit of a distance here. We've seen a little bit of recovery, a little bit of healing. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us to stay connected to that battery pack, that we rely on your Holy Spirit and not think all is well because it's not yet. So in the words of your servant, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I pray, oh God, may God send us poverty. May God send us lack of means and take away our power of speech if it must be and help us only to stammer if we may only thus get the blessing. I rave to be useful to souls and all the rest may go where it will. O church, take heed lest you trust in yourself. Take heed lest we say, oh, we're respectable now, we're healthy, we're a bigger number, we have power. Take heed lest you begin to glory in your own strength, for when that is done, Ichabod shall be written on your walls and your glory shall depart. Remember that he who was with us when we were struggling must now be with us all the more, else we must fail. And he who strengthened us when we were but little in Israel, must be with us now if we're making any progress. Or else it is over, all over with us, and our day is past. We can make plans and say, now if the church were altered a little bit, it would go on better. You think if there were different ministers or a different church order or a different worship team or a different somebody, then all would be well. No, dear friends, it is not there. The mistake lies. It is that we want more of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please help us. We commend ourselves to your grace. We need your help. In the great name of Jesus, we pray together. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you.